keep those California Indians down. Hello, everyone. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. For Marcus Lopez, I'm your host, Larry Smith. On today's program, part two of our two-part interview on the brand new book, Red Nation Rising, From Border Town Violence to Native Liberation. We'll speak with two of the four contributing authors here on American Indian Airwaves. You can hear when the moon shines bright, the lone blue elk in the black of the night. You can hear, you can hear the whisper in the valley. Mm-hmm. And you know when come a cunny blows to the Bahu drum. And we want to remind listeners that uh, KPFK is presently in its summer fun drive, and it's with you, the listeners, that help support the work that us as programmers, as well as KPFK, continue to provide as a community service to all of you. And here on American Indian Airwaves, we are fortunate enough to have this space to help bring and elevate indigenous voices from multiple perspectives and as a thank you gift for supporting us here on American Indian Airwaves and KPFK we are offering a brand new book titled Red Nation Rising from Border Town Violence to Native Liberation and the book is co-authored by Nick Estes, Melanie Yazzie, Jennifer Denedale, and David Correa. It's a phenomenally new book on the violence of settler colonialism and, and investigates settler colonialism and explains the violent dynamics of what they refer to as border towns. And it's a phenomenal read. It's a brand new book that just released, and we're offering it here on American Indian Airwaves and KPFK as a $100 premium, a $100 thank you gift that you can pick up by calling 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, or visiting the kpfk.org website and clicking on the pledge widget and picking up this brand new book, Red Nation Rising from Border Town Violence to Native Liberation. Marcus? Yes, Larry. The Red Nation's Rising is a contemporary, essential document in where Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz stated this may be the most important organizing manual ever produced by a social movement in the United States. That being said, Larry that we can see, we provide our listeners, which is a unique thing more than any other program out there as far as for indigenous populations in Southern California and people that listen to us over the Internet, that this book, we provide you with not only educational and a summary of what is going along and to acquire this native liberation, as some of the topics in there that are riveting, and that are controversial. And so from the area of land imperialism, they don't say that, but I will say that, the very beginning to 
up into including PL280 and up and including this contemporary issues that we bring up in the America Indian Airways is a must book to read. Now, why do I say that? I say that because of the fact that it talks about these different issues. It talks about what we've been describing within the American Indian Airways of anti-Indianism, of Indian killers, of looting, counterinsurgency, seller scams, and burn the village. Controversial, necessary, and also, Larry, a very damning essay and discussion of capitalism. No, absolutely, Marcus. I'm in the book um, titled Red Nation Rising from Border Town Violence to Native Liberation. Right, The authors contend that everything in a settler world is a border and every settler is haunted by this border, a native presence that should not exist, that blurs the edges of settler ontology. And while that might sound a little... Uh, infused with some academic jargon, um, what's so powerful about the book in using this metaphor of border town as a way to describe all the various forms of settler colonial violence. And then towards the end of the book, as you mentioned, offering up an indigenous manifesto for decolonization, for eradicating, if you will, forms of settler colonial violence and capitalism. The book just covers a wide array of issues, issues that we've discussed here on American Indian Airways over the years, but also issues that you certainly do not hear about in the American mass media landscape. And I think that's really important uh, when we talk about the work that we do here on American Indian Airways and KPFK, that we do provide as an alternative media outlet, meaning KPFK and American Indian Airways, we provide different perspectives on a wide variety of issues. And we certainly bring indigenous voices to the forefront here on American Indian Airways, but also just the issues that we do cover uh, with the indigenous folks, the grassroots people, the educators, the the artists, the, co- the cultural educators and bearers out there that uh, we have the honor and privilege of interviewing on a weekly basis, that we provide different perspectives on all the issues that we cover that you don't find if they even make it into the American mass media landscape. And that's what's so important about the work that we do here on American Indian Airwaves. That's what's so important about KPFK as an alternative media, public media institution that operates on a completely different model that's not beholden to any corporate underwriters, that's not beholden to any advertisers. And it allows us as programmers to engage and express and provide those new, refreshing, grassroots, marginalized, unheard voices and perspectives. And that's why we want to encourage listeners to support us here on American Indian Airwaves, support Pacifica's KPFK as a long, multi-decade 
institution and public media in bringing marginalized voices over to the airwaves and discussing various forms of social injustice and human rights abuses. And I'll put those terms in quotes for for those of you that are going to pick up the $100 premium item that we're offering here on American Indian Airwaves. It's a brand new book called Red Nation Rising from Border Town Violence to Native Liberation. It's a brand new co-authored book by four authors, native and non-native, and you can pick it up by calling 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, or you can visit the kpfk.org website and click on the Donate Widget button and pick up Red Nation Rising from Border Town Violence to Native Liberation. Marcus? Yes, Larry. Also, people can go to kpfk.org, look at that site, look at the list, and get the book. This is the only time, Larry, that we talk about a particular book like we have done before, about the situation, and if you're sick and tired of being sick and tired of the same old news about oppression, exploitation, and this healing that we have, this revolutionary healing, that they talk about that a little bit, in which... Larry, this is the book. It's inexpensive as far as our particular amount, $100 for you Native people that belong to church groups, belong to social organizations, belong to different social media. This $100 you can pledge. And I want to quote this book, and it talks about peace and healing, talks about the how capitalism strips the revolutionary potential of this healing. It goes into that, and I won't mention that, but it goes into that. But it says something that's really dear to my heart, and it reads as follows, and it talks about this healing process. The issue of healing, which was quelled radical political demands coming out of the revolutionary period of the 1960s and 1970s, by turning outrage at native suffering, trauma, into a charitable enterprise. To me, the book unpacks that, and the book creates a particular dialogue. And that's what we want to do, our dear listeners. We want to create this dialogue. We want to create indigenous and non-indigenous, indigenous supporters, people that are in the nonprofit organizations, the people that are in the profit organizations, people that are out there, to pick up the phone, 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-5735. You are not going to get this book from corporate media. You are not going to get this book from other radio nonprofit organizations. You can only get it here, Larry, and our listeners by picking up the phone. We're talking about a $100 pledge, our gift to you, and we use this book, Larry, in order to raise the consciousness of people, raise the understanding of people. And they might, they might not look at certain aspects of the book as a know-all or solve-all solutions in its entirety, but yet it gets to the root of many, many issues. This book, and we're talking about, Larry, Red Nations Rising, and I thought this creating this... Um, charitable enterprise is saying that trying to commodify our struggle and many of the people in the 60s and 70s sold out, bought out, 
or dropped out. And so this, this is a book in which is contemporary, and these young writers talk about these things that we talked about during the 60s and 70s, gave it a more up-to-date flavor. And I think, Larry, this book, and for our listeners, is something that is, it goes beyond the niceties. It goes into the essence, just like our other books that we have um, featured here in the America Indian Airways Global Police State, All the Real Indians Died Off, and so on and so forth, about this is a controversial and yet essential for Native peoples, Indigenous peoples that are organizing out there, that have study groups out there, that want to know the climate out there, and for the world that are listening to America Indian Airways is a, a, a sense of summarizing what we've been doing the last 40 years. Larry. Oh, absolutely, Marcus. And, and each chapter is packed with uh, numerous topics that they cover. You know, for example, the one chapter on counterinsurgency, the authors talk about criminalization, the boarding school era, uh, and boarding schools in general, race, charity, as you were mentioning, the civil rights reports, gender, right, hate crime history, and more. That's just in one chapter. And what's so remarkable about the book is you're saying it's direct, it's succinct, it's powerful, it's illuminating, and it's a fantastic read. It's brand new. It's called Red Nation Rising from Border Town Violence to Native Liberation. It's co-authored by four authors, Native and non-Native authors, Nick Estes, Melanie Yazzie, Jennifer Denetdale, and David Correa. It's a $100 premium. It's our thank you gift to you, the listeners of American Indian Airwaves, and saying thank you for supporting us and Pacifica's KPFK. Again, you can call 818-985-5735, 818-985-5735 or KPFK, or visit the kpfk.org website and click on the pledge widget. And if $100 is too expensive for you at this moment, you can also become a KPFK Donors Circle member. You can decide to make monthly dollar donations to KPFK by clicking on the KPFK pledge website. And so there are many different ways to support the station. And we, what we'd like to do is we'd like to play listeners a snippet of an interview that I had the privilege of interviewing two out of the four co-authors of our $100 premium item, Red Nation Rising from Border Town Violence to Native Liberation. Again, it's our thank you gift to all of you. And we want to remind listeners that you're listening to American Indian Airwaves here on KPFK. And Marcus, what we'd like to do is play the first segment of part two, this two-part interview with two of the contributing authors, as I just mentioned. Our first guest is Jennifer Dale. She is Dene, or from the Navajo Nation, and is a professor of American Studies at the University of New Mexico. She also serves as the chair of the Navajo Nation Human Rights Commission. And our second guest is David Correa. He is Associate Professor of American Studies at the University of New Mexico. He organizes with Abolish APD, a research collective focused on confronting the violence of the Albuquerque Police Department and committed to the abolition of police as we know it. And now part two 
of Red Nation Rising from Border Town Violence to Native Liberation. When we talked about this book, this book really came into uh, formation from the, when, when the four of us went to the border town of Flagstaff, Arizona, and um, spent a week there in a house laying out the design of this book and, and what it was going to look like, the format and, and the key concept of this, of this book. And that was like uh, four years ago at least. And, you know, one of the things for me, um, what, the, what the readers I think can, can get a sense of versus this of indigenous history, this interrogation of binaries. Um, so for example, one of the things that indigenous people often hear in these border town spaces not only just from the citizens of, of these towns, but also from its administration, from, from its officials, that we don't belong there as indigenous people, that we're invaders, we're aliens. Go back to the res is one term that you'll see in the book. And so that takes up the one of the binaries that we look at. One is that there is a boundary between the res and urban tradition and modern for example, and we interrogate and we take to issue those kinds of binaries. And for indigenous people, and for many of them, it's often profound to recognize and to articulate that these spaces are actually traditional indigenous territories, you know. And so we're not the ones who are aliens. We are not the ones who are invading um, these spaces. Um, We belong to these spaces. We belong on this land. So one thing then is the way in which we take binaries in some of the key concepts. Um, we also intend the work to, to take up indigenous feminisms and indigenous queer critiques. And so we try to be inclusive in terms of, we, we may not name it explicitly, but one of the, a couple of our frameworks are um, indigenous feminists and indigenous queer in its foundation. Um, so those are two things that I can think of, of what people will see in this book. Of course, one of the major ones is anti-capitalism, but David, you can take that up. Yeah. And so should we all. But uh, I think we've organized it really as a kind of series of, um, I guess you'd almost say keywords. There, yeah. You know, there, there's, the book is organized around eight chapters, starting with this opening introdu- introduction that I think lays out the state and, and the purpose of the book and the perspective we're taking um, and drawing parallels between sort of native social justice movements and, and black-led social justice movements. And yeah. then conclu- concluding with a, a manifesto that sort of really lays out very clearly w- where we stand. Um, and in between there, you know, our series of chapters within which we introduce concepts and terms. You know, we were thinking about trying to, trying to, it, it's difficult to write about something like a border town that, that we wanted to find so many ways. We wanted to find it as a place. We wanted to find it as a relation. We wanted to, we want to examine its history. We want to discuss the stakes, right? And the relation among border towns. And, and that, that becomes really difficult to do if we're not allowing ourselves to be kind of flexible in how we're doing it. So the book is really, I think it's an easy book to read in the sense that readers can decide how they want to read it. They can go in and out from chapter to chapter. They can select the, the, the terms or concepts that we define in the book because we put those all in the table of contents. You know, we're defining things like white supremacy, law, police violence, church, relocation, Indian country, anti-Indian common sense, forced sterilization. We've got 70 or 80 of these concepts that we think are crucial to know, to understand 
uh, in the sort of through this lens of border towns and understanding settler colonialism. And I think what, what, what our argument is is that seeing the border towns this way helps to you know inoculate ourselves against this, the all the ways in which sort of liberal reformism promises us you know the structures that exist already can fix this problem that there are there are measures we can take and you know while we don't at all think we should uh, ignore pressing questions that might actually pr protect people's lives against the violence of the state the violence of vigilantes in this country we're not trying to produce a book that that offers a route to reforming this rather we are trying mm -hmm. to produce a book I think the structure and organization of it demonstrates a book that sort of lays out where we should really be be paying attention. You know, what's how is the border town structured and organized and assembled, and what are the concepts and terms that like give that momentum? And that's that's how we organize the book. Jennifer, did you want to add something? You know, the you mentioned the we we talked about the key, some of the key terms that you'll come up with some so that you'll read as you go through and the way the book is organized as, as key terms. The end of the book, but throughout the book, you see um, this is not just a book of critique. It also offers some direction, you know, not some, but a direction. So when, they use, when the word indigenous liberation is used, people, you know, have questions, for example, like the word of police abolition, and they immediately have a knee-jerk response, many people, and they say, well, that's not a good idea. You know, but this book really lays out why and how it's difficult, if not impossible, to trust the police. You know, and so based on this history, this pattern of police violence, then what do you do in the face of that? And I think this book offers direction. It also offers some direction in terms of um, indigenous liberation. Um, one key concept in there is um, kin based upon kinship, that we have to begin creating these spaces of um, community, a, a sense of community, uh, a sense of community consciousness, you know, and that's based from, on indigenous terms, it's uh, the relationships that we build. And so I think that's also a key concept in this book. Yeah, I really appreciate um, you know how you've organized uh, the chapters thematically and in, in these key terms, and I'm I'm sure we could go through all of them, but we want folks to pick up the book and and read it for themselves. But um, you know, like the chapter on uh, settler scams, when I read it, um, you, you know, the just property, and I think um, beginning with uh, the the discussion of property and and how the, that is so violent in of itself as a settler colonial concept and, and how it's reinforced and how that relates um, to indigenous peoples. That land is simply not property of ownership because even the settler colonial notion of property requires the violent establishment of a border. Right. And, mm -hmm. and also, you know, in talking about um, some of the violent events that occurred out there in Gallup and, and throughout the Southwest in the 70s, is um, you mentioned when talking about the nonprofit industrial complex system and the, the Tax Reform Act of 1969 really opening the doors for the creation of the nonprofit sector, the 501c3 sector, and how that really becomes a, a new capitalist uh, industry for the privileged, yeah. the wealthy, 
right? Uh, the resource, uh, the wealthy of um, the various industries that have a long legacy in perpetuating uh, forms of settler colonial violence. So, I, but also I, I, I appreciated the critique, and, and maybe um, both of you can um, respond to the critique of neoliberalism because so often. For individuals that might consider themselves enlightened allies or supporters, but they ascribe to these ideological tenets of neoliberalism. Um, but but you lay out in the book what makes it problematic, and I was wondering if you could un- unpack that for our listeners. Yeah, I mean, I think in, the, in a really sort of explicit way, we draw on Diane Millian's point about the way that you know historical trauma gets folded into a of neoliberal politics when it, when it's applied to, to Native nations. I think more more generally, you know, I, I think the book is, is attempting to confront a politics, even even you know, on the left in the U.S. I think on the real left, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not I think I think liberalism is not a politics of the left, but on the left, I mean, you know, this sort of neoliberal ideology is really really shifty, and it's really sort of gotten in in really deeply theologically and a lot of a lot of political thinking that that really elevates the individual over common interest uh, that that really as Jennifer was saying earlier becomes very invested in these sort of binaries of of, of us versus them or, um, here or there the border town right native land reservation and trapped in that kind of thinking it becomes really difficult even to to find comradeship in the kind of political struggles that but the four of us are, are engaged in and many of i think your listeners and the readers of, of our book are you know i think that um i think our critique of, of neoliberalism in the book is maybe a familiar one to some on the left um but it's a little bit i think more important at least in our view when it comes to the border town because you know these the border town the politics of the border town are, are almost opaque it's really it's, it's very difficult to sort of see these physical spaces as inherently political but and the only way to do it is to really strip away the sort of the, i think that very conservative thinking that um that infects a lot of us uh, on the left um we have to sort of unlearn a lot of things often politically and one of them is just this sort of like you know valorization of the individual as a, the important political subject uh, in society and then how would one then actually engage in a politics of collaboration uh, to undo settler colonialism. I mean, I mean, how would that happen? It, 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 it's almost a, an impossibility to get that imagination operating among some, some non-Native folks, and we're trying to figure out a way to, to deliver that message, to move them in that direction. Right? So that there is, a, there is a, a, a help, a sense that this book is, is like, you know, a kind of antidote to the kind of like highly individualist thinking that, that got us in many ways contributed to where we are in the first place. I know in the opening forward, uh, David, since you mentioned thinking, um, uh, there is uh, introduction and Jennifer, I'll, I'm going to defer to you, but uh, the concept mm-hmm. of critical thinking is one of maybe unpack that or for our listeners, but also when we talk about settler colonial violence perpetrated against indigenous peoples, there are several references in the book and, you know, uh, help our listeners understand that these are real lived experiences of Diné and other indigenous peoples and that mm-hmm. this per- this perpetuation, manifestation and 
amplification or intensification of forms of settler colonial violence that's addressed in the book could very easily and and is contributing to this uh, intergenerational process of genocide and course that reifies or emphasizes the importance of where the book concludes in talking about indigenous liberation and and kinship and some of these other important concepts. Uh, Thanks, Larry. Um, I think in terms of um, fostering uh, critical consciousness, which is um, one of our hopes with this, one of the aims with this book, is that one thing is that indigenous studies uh, and, and native studies is often relegated to some kind of field that only that's a very specialized field that only a few people are interested in um, when actually as I think this book um, demonstrates indigenous studies is just foundational to any in any intellectual inquiry and the second thing is that our work for all of us is that we connect the, the academic to community-based practices mm-hmm. you know and so we might talk about um, these ideas and these key terms, um, but also in our own very different ways, we also practice a community. Uh, we also practice a community based based upon you know the work that um, we espouse and the ideas that we espouse in, in this book. I can think about it in two ways. One is that I'm originally from um, Tohatchee, um, which is on the Navajo Nation on the New Mexico side, and we still you know it's been our home our place of residence um, since before 1863 when the Navajo people were rounded up under Kit Carson's brutal campaign against Navajo people and sent to um, remove to a concentration camp um, at Bosque Redondo. So, you know, our our place there, our, our presence there predates American invasion. And the other day, so when I went home to Tohatchee recently, I was talking to a relative, and she was telling me that... And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with two of the contributing authors of the brand new book, Red Nation Rising, From Border Town Violence to Native Liberation. And now back to the interview with Jennifer Denatedale and David Correa, two of the contributing authors. A relative had been jumped by by white young people in Farmington, New Mexico, and beaten. Um, and she was telling me about cleaning his wounds, you know, on his head. And so uh, recently, um, Rodney, uh, I, I'm, I'm spacing the guy's name, the journalist who wrote that book on the what's called the Choke Cherry Massacre, mm. which was the mutilation and torture of three Navajo men in Far- Farmington in the 1970s, he recently maybe two years ago, was invited by a non, mostly non-Indian organization in, or population in Farmington to talk about the, his experience in writing about the Chokecherry Massacre. Um, and his, I, I, I had some access to his presentation there, and then he was recently interviewed by a Navajo person. And at the end of his, the interview that he did, um, he says, you know, things seem to be better. Well, he hadn't been back in this area for 10 years, um, and he came back af- years after the uh, incident had happened and the protests that were happening on the ground in Farmington. 
Um, he was there, he witnessed it, he left, and then he returned a few years later to write his book on the Chokecherry Massacre. Um, and then he, le you know, and so he, he's writing it from afar, but coming back to do interviews. And then 10, you know, what's this now, 20 years, 30 years later, um, he then says, you know, I think relationships are better between Navajos and, and whites in Farmington. And I'm just like, I'm just talking to my a relative the other day who's telling me about her son who was brutally beaten on the streets there, you know. Um, so no, things haven't changed. Um, and I think it's, it's important um, th that this book um, acknowledges and puts out there that things have not changed, that this violence is, is structural. Okay? The other thing I think that's really important in the, in the present moment is just how devastating COVID-19 has been for Indigenous people um, and, in this, and, and uh, from my particular experience for the Navajo people. Sure. You know, if it hadn't been for this kind of settler violence that takes for itself land base and, and in, um, resources um, and creates their own economy based upon indigenous lives and resources, um, we might not have seen such a devastating um, response or effects from, from COVID-19. Okay? Um, and so this, this book and the terms and the way we talk about this um, has, a, has an urgency for the present. Would it be fair to say then, um, and just to, to add what you're saying, is that when we say things haven't changed, whether it be for the Diné people or other indigenous peoples, that when we say that, it means that not only are th things have not changed. Um, well, I certainly, I think Jennifer's comments were, um, were perfect. I, I, I couldn't improve on those. Um, and in terms of human rights, I mean, are you are you just are you referring to just the sort of the way in which human rights require like you know recognition from the state? Is that is that the yeah that? But also you know it just in response to what Je Jennifer was offering and, and sharing with us is that Jennifer saying that I can't say that it's worse, right? But certainly people might think of um, in, in listening to the interview. Uh, the notion of human rights and what what does that mean? But but in the book, all of you offer uh, a pretty profound critique about human rights in relationship to the state. It's just such a hard one to do in a short amount of time because I'm thinking of a of a listenership or a readership who might see and in some ways recognize all the ways in which um, the, even the concept of human rights provides some some recourse, some some way to to build sort of, you know, oppositional resistance to the kinds of uh, existing, ongoing patterns that Jennifer is describing. I mean, there has to be something that we can turn to. Um, but, yeah, I mean, what we point out in the book, particularly related to, to human rights, is uh, the slipperiness of the term and concept and that, that human rights is really, as a concept, has been kind of hijacked by sort of Western liberalism as a way to really just re-inscribe re legitimacy of the state. It's the way the state constantly reinforces its authority. Right. And, 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 you know, if there's one, if there's one entity wearing a black hat in our book, it's the settler state. And so, you know, we're not, we're not developing strategies for people to um, find solutions to engaging or, or being recognized by, right. by the settler state. 
and so the, the the entry of the book on the, the, the essay on, on human rights is is an effort, like a lot of it, to you know pull the curtain back a bit and, and to to point out to readers that this concept is a lot of work that that maybe it's not obvious. Um, and you know, investing in human rights as a concept is investing then in the in the present and future of the other state. And that's, that's not mm-hmm. going to be a very successful strategy in the past. We have just heard from the authors of the book, Red Nations Rising, From Border Town Violence to Native Liberation. And the subtext of that is the Border Town Violence Working Group, which is this part they're part of. And Larry, what's so interesting about this book is that not only is it like Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz talks about how this is an important organizing manual, I look at it a sense of important thinking manual as far as how do we think about our reality. It talks about space. It talks about capitalism. It talks about settler colonialism. It talks about these different things that we have been addressing over the decades. But one refreshing thing about it, Larry, and to our listeners, it's new, brand new. And it talks about recent situations all the way from land to culture, all the way from language to religion, all the way from the beginning of these United States to our present situation where the reservation system, and they have a section of it called off-reservation, and they talk about, and I think this is interesting for Southern California and for our listeners throughout the United States and Mexico and Canada, in that many of the native peoples, indigenous peoples, live in urban areas now. And because of that, they give a little description of that, of why this occurred. And one of the things that the indigenous people in California need to understand is how the non, how the indigenous population got to Southern California, first place, number one. Secondly, not to ignore the recent history of California, but also an important point, and I want to point this out to our listeners, which are loyal, which want to hear about not only the struggles, but solutions. And this book gives you some solutions. The solutions are talking about the notion of liberation, native liberation, as they describe it. And what does that mean to you? What does that mean to the listeners? What does it mean to, you know, all these different activities throughout its recent history from Standing Rock all into, to today talks about supporting native peoples. And we're seeing that supporting many, many native peoples is about taking a, not only a nice soft chair or a couch or a position from a comfortable position, but going out and to reviewing this book, to reviewing this particular gift that we offer to you by pledging $100, and to realize this native liberation for your native people living in Southern California and all the different urban areas. It's a book in which you can read. It's very palatable. In other words, it's easy read. It's a book for your study group throughout our airways, and you can use this book in order to bring up the different topic. One of the topics that I think is important is property relations, and that property relations, it goes into that, a snippet of that. And I think the books that we have before talking about that, but yet this is so important that it provides 
the native person in the urban area that away from their quote-unquote homeland and to realize what now capitalism and what that means and where we have to realize that this is the obstacle this is the the wall this is the structure this is the the laws means the prisons all that that we talked about in our previous fundraising books the global police state it talks about these different things and the way it's understandable larry and the way it brings up some issues that might not be too too comfortable but issues nevertheless and some people might say well this is way out this is way out there and this is why we bring it to you our listeners because we know that you, you want a book that describes these features that no one is going to describe in a way that it is a reflection of native life true to form though it's not a cultural book it's a political book talks about culture talks about land talks about language talks about healing talks about these different things in order for you to get a grasp on our space and this this the notion of space is in there but i wanted to say this space and our sense of what is our reality. So pick up the phone, 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-KPFK. And if you are on the computer listen to this, you can go to our, the KPFK website, kpfk.org, kpfk.org. Go to American Indian Airways, Red Nations Rising, From Border Town Violence to Native Liberation. A gift from us. American Indian Airways to you all. Larry. Thank you, Marcus. Absolutely. Uh, the book is, again, it's brand new. It's Red Nation Rising from Bordertown Violence to Native Liberation. It's It has four co-authors, both indigenous and non-indigenous. It's a phenomenal read. It's powerful. It's informative. And it's empowering. And we want to remind listeners that, yes, this is a $100 thank you premium item here on American Indian Airwaves and KPFK. But again, if that if it's beyond your financial means to support, if it's just a little too much in its cost, we want to encourage listeners to also visit the kpfk.org website and become a KPFK Sustainer Circle member by simply making monthly dollar donations of your choice. And so that is another way to help support uh, the work that we do here on American Indian Airwaves and help support the work that Pacifica's KPFK continues to do after over 50 years in public media. And again, you know, we want to remind listeners that uh, you know, for those of you that are out there in the podcasting world, even the podcasting industry has slowly become an oligopoly, and and there are just uh, a handful of companies slowly dominating the podcasting industry. And if you are a podcaster out there listening to us, you know, on one of those streaming platforms that. It shows like ours and the marginalized and unheard voices that we bring to American Indian Airways are the exact kind of voices and perspectives that you cannot hear even out there in the podcasting world. So we want to reach out and connect with all of you that uh, that listen to us, um, you know, via podcasting as well as on radio or as well as uh, streaming on the kpfk.org website. Again, the 
book is Red Nation Rising from Border Town Violence to Native Liberation. It's co authored uh, by four authors, Native and non Native. It's a phenomenal read. Uh, it's empowering. Again, it's informative. Again, every chapter in the book contains a numerous and variety of topics uh, related to the forms of settler colonial violence in the book ends, right, in talking about indigenous liberation. In fact, the authors contend that when they speak of liberation, meaning we meaning them, we mean a desire to be free once and for all from the imposition of the United States on our lands, affairs, bodies, minds, spirits, and cultures. And that's a, a powerful quote from the book. And if you want to understand what that means, then we encourage you to pick up and read Red Nation Rising from Bordertown Violence to Native Liberation. Again, call 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, or you can visit the kpfk.org website and click on the KPFK Donate widget. You can pick up the book. You can become a KPFK Sustainer Circle member. You can do both. Or perhaps find another premium item on the KPFK item that you would like to pick up along with Red Nation Rising. And Marcus, we want to remind listeners that they're listening to American Indian Airwaves, and we'd like to play the second segment of part two of our interview with two of the four contributing authors of Red Nation Rising, From Bordertown Violence to Native Liberation. We'll hear from Jennifer Denatedale and David Correa. Jennifer Denatedale is Professor of American Studies at the University of New Mexico, and she serves as the chair of the Navajo Nation Human Rights Commission, and David Correa is an Associate Professor of American Studies at the University of New Mexico. He organizes with Abolish APD, a research collective focused on confronting the violence of the Albuquerque Police Department and committed to the abolition of police as we know it. And now, the second segment of Part 2 of Red Nation Rising from Bordertown Violence to Native Liberation. But you you also, uh, in that section of the book, you link in discussing or expressing um, uh, the reflective problematics uh, and, and the clarification or terms and meanings of human rights. You link it to the decolonial document of the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous yeah. Peoples. Right. Right. And how right. and how that is such um, an important tool. And it's something that uh, we've certainly covered since uh, September 13th of 2007 here on, right. The sh- right. uh, on the show. So I think that's an, uh, an important connection that you make in the book. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I guess that's what I meant by it's been hijacked. Right. Yeah. So, so you know, UNDRIP is, was a way to sort of like take that back. And, and so the rights, you know, and trying to undrip or an effort to number one let's unmoor all rights from the individual right mm-hmm. like the, the the human rights is about human rights right there aren't rights to nature there aren't rights to relations among people in nature people in places right the the, the right not to be severed one from one's homeland right. um isn't found in any sort of liberal notion of human rights and so we do mm-hmm. bring up undrip as a way to sort of highlight that there's another way to think about this it's not one that has much institutional um a uh, history in the Western world, and yet, as we do throughout the book, I mean, the book is as much about the resistance to the border town as it is about border, the border town. So we, there, there are plenty of 
examples and illustrations of ways that um, that others have confronted this because we're not obviously in any way the first. Um, we are, you know, basically building on the work of, of everyone who's gone before us on this issue. And we're trying to do that. And, and UNDRIP is a perfect example of that. I mean, Roxanne Dunbar-Tees is, is involved in that. And, I, you know, she's one of my my mentors. And, and I look up to her as a, as a scholar and an activist and, and, you know, learn from folks doing that kind of work, how to make that, how to distinguish between, right, the sort of reformist liberal concepts and these sort of more la radical uh, definitions of those categories that, that we still have access to and, and we need to remind sometimes each other about. We want people to pick up the book and to read the book, but we want listeners to understand um, what they'll walk away with. And towards the end of the book, in chapters uh, seven, it's titled Burn the Village, but you have eight key concepts uh and topics that you cover in chapter seven, um, you know, from abolition, kinship, which we discussed, solidarity, alliance, land, LGBTQI2S, right, sovereignty, decolonization, liberation, you know, topics that we've been discussing throughout the course of our interview. And then the book concludes with Don't Go Back to the Reservation. A Border Town Manifesto, and um, and as we wrap up uh, our discussion and talking about the, um, the brand new book Red Nation Rising, uh, Jennifer, I'll start with you. Is um, what do you, all of you mean? Uh, don't go back to the reservation. A Border Town Manifesto. You know, I I think for me the manifesto really is a is a is words of hope. People could read this as um, as a critique, one that some people would take as as negative, and yet I think that we came together to work on this book out of hope and that a, a possibility of liberation and that in, envisioning it is really important. And so for me, work that's what working on this book with my colleagues has meant to me. Um, it's it's meant stretching and moving um, the limits of my understanding of moving my my critique and moving my my vision um, because we do write this book with hope David as you write in the book the um, both the red nation social movement um, and the really seeds of this book began in after the murders of, of uh, two Navajo men in Albuquerque about about six years ago and one of the things we did after that was we, we spent a lot of time on the streets talking to people, particularly unsheltered Native folks. And we heard, I mean, I, I personally have spent a lot of time doing street outreach and mutual aid on the streets and, and interviews. And um, I'd never heard anyone who wasn't Native say to me, you know, the, the thing that cops always yell at us is go back to the reservation. Mm. You know, every single person we talked to on the street when we asked, um, about the last encounter they had with a cop or, um, you know, they would include at some point a cop hollering at them, go back to the reservation. And, you know, we've seen that sort of pattern play out in other places too, it's not just in Albuquerque. And so th that was one of the ways we started thinking about this spatially, which was wh why, why this insistence, why this consistent insistence mm -hmm. among police to just holler at Native unsheltered folks go back to the reservation. Um, I mean, obviously, it's such an ingrained part of policing 
that we could just leave it at that and say it's just something they say, but I think it's something more because it goes beyond Albuquerque. And it really led to us thinking very specifically about, about what it means to resist um, civil colonialism and how we would go about, about doing it. And, and I think it begins by recognizing, for us, you know, res- recognizing police as modern-day vigilantes and Indian killers um, who are, whose job is to impose the order of, of, of settler society and their, if their primary directive is to go back to the reservation, then that's the first thing that we have to oppose. Right? So we have to oppose that, that particular sort of geographical mandate. And the, so the, the manifesto's title is really a confrontation, right? It, it's, a, it's, a, you know, it's a refusal. It's the first refusal of the many that come in the manifesto. Thank you both. I uh, appreciate the mm-hmm. book, um, you know, ending uh, on a positive note, you know, with a message of hope. And, you know, both of you are, are activists. Um, Jennifer, I know you're actively invo- involved in the community. Both of you are educators. And um, I was wondering if I could ask both of you as we close out the interview. And again, I'll start with you, Jennifer. Um, you know, we have a lot of Native and non-Native listeners Um but what's your your message uh, to the youth and and um, and I'll start with you, Jennifer, and then David, if if you can follow up, please. E, I don't know, Larry. Larry, what my message would be. I think my message would just be, you know, every as a as a Diné person, I have a lot of respect for our traditional knowledge and our traditional knowledge, our, our teachings is that. Every morning you go out and you you greet the morning, the dawn, and every day when the holy people come by, there's always a possibility. There's always that possibility of renewal of life, you know. And so, for me, that's what I wake up with every uh, almost every single morning of another day, you know. And I'm I'm thankful for for that. Um, and I think that that's something that Indigenous people appreciate. David? And, I, you know, one of the things that we're doing in the book is we're not trying to make a distinction. This is not a movement that's a, a Native-led movement, but it doesn't, it doesn't exclude non-Native people from... I mean, we, ha- we, can't, we, can't, we can't dismantle and destroy settler colonialism w- without sort of this broad-based movement. And, and so the, I think the only, the only thing I would say is, is um, this kind of struggle requires real accountability. Um, and it's... And it's is that we don't need heroes and we don't need personalities. We need people who are willing to put in the work and be accountable to their comrades and commit to that. And, and I've just learned the work on the ground, which is so hard. It's so difficult to do, but that, that accountability is the most important, most important thing. And, and it's, I think for a lot of us, it's the way that we can really sort of get rid of this sort of notion of the individual as the center. We're not, we can't be a group of individuals. We have to be accountable to something larger than us in this struggle. And, and for, for the, the organizers and activists I, I work with, we're, we're, we, can, we can actually contribute to our, our communities when we're accountable to each other. And we can't when we're not. So, you know, this book is really an effort for, for the four of us as authors to really be accountable to each other, for our communities. Mm-hmm. This is, this, these are our politics. This is what we're after. And this is how we think it should be done. And we're committed to it. And you can, you can yeah. rely on, and that's, you know, I, I think the the book, the overall structure of the book too, sort of serves to sort of embed that notion, hopefully in the reader, that, that there's a lot here. It's going to take more than a few of us to do, and, and all it takes is just a willingness to commit and be accountable to that work. The moment of silence is over. 
And that concludes the second segment of part two of our interview on the brand new book, Red Nation Rising, From Bordertown Violence to Native Liberation. We're speaking with two of the four contributing authors, Jennifer Denaintail and David Correa. Jennifer Denaintail is a professor of American Studies at the University of New Mexico. She also serves as the chair of the Navajo Nation Human Rights Commission. David Correa is Associate Professor of American Studies at the University of New Mexico. He organizes with Abolish APD, a research collective focused on confronting the violence of the Albuquerque Police Department and committed to the abolition of police as we know it. The book, Red Nation Rising from Bordertown Violence to Native Liberation, is our $100 thank you gift, our premium item, for supporting American Indian Airwaves and KPFK. If you want to pick up the book, please call 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, or visit the kpfk.org website and click on the pledge widget and pick up Red Nation Rising. That concludes our show for today here on American Indian Airwaves. A special thank you to our two guests, Jennifer Denetdale and David Korea. A special thank you to our musical guest, Aragon Star and Koopa Aina and the band Blackfire. American Indian Airwaves is mixed and mastered in the studio of Burnt Swamp Studio. For Marcus Lopez, I'm your host, Larry Smith. Until next time. Silence is over.